If you are visiting with us, or even if you are part of Bay Vineyard, just you should know by now that we have these rhythms in our church where we uh, we follow the church calendar, the, the liturgical calendar. So the church, in its wisdom over the years, has recognised events in the life of Jesus that are so significant uh, that we're like we need to cycle through this every year to help form us so that we know who Jesus is. Uh, so we do that, but we're now in ordinary time, again, which I love, because how much of life is ordinary time? Uh, and so we're in ordinary time. In ordinary time, we look at a spiritual practice and we work through the book of the Bible. Uh, so this uh, term, we're going to be working our way through the book of Philippians. And um, I hope that you uh, got my message. I better, um, better bring mine out. Who's, uh, who's got their Bibles? Hands up. Just hold up your Bible nice and high if you got your Bible. Then this is just to shame folks that didn't. Um, we may even get the Bibles of shame, which is you hand out the Bibles to people that forgot to bring them, because I'm, I'm really keen for us to, uh, to get old school in the Bible thing. If you've got your Bibles, won't turn to the book of Philippians. It's about this way through, if, you, um, if you, that's all a bit new to you, the whole Bible thing. It's near the end. Um, and, uh, and I'd love you just to have that open as we engage with this uh, book this morning. Let's stand together for an honour of the Word of God uh, and let me read the text that we're going to be exploring this morning. And we're going to work our way through the whole book of Philippians over the next couple, come, uh, few Sundays. Here we go, friends. Let's do it. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for, sorry, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Been confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in change or de- chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grab a seat, friends. So Paul's writing this letter um, from a prison. He's most likely imprisoned either uh, in Rome or Ephesus, And he writes uh, to this church in this place called Philippi, which is a Roman colony in Macedonia, as it was called at the time, modern Greece now. Uh, And you can read the story about how this church started in Acts chapter 16. So again, if you get bored and you've got your Bible, uh, you can actually just read the story of how this church began. Um, And it's quite a cool story because uh, Paul uh, is in this kind of Roman uh, city uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, all sorts. Sorry, um, uh, Macedonian city. All sorts of stuffs going on, but these people come to faith because Paul's this crazy evangelist. Um, but the people that kickstart the church in Philippi are predominantly women. Listen to this from Gordon Feet in his commentary: The nucleus of this church was formed by a group of God-fearing women. Given the prominent place of Macedonian life in general, it's not surprising that the core group of its first converts were women. 
and that the location of its first house church was in the house of a woman merchant called Lydia. Again, just super cool, right? I mean, the Bible's subversive in lots of ways, super patriarchal world, and there's like there's all these women that kickstart this epic church in Philippi. And so then uh, Paul leaves Philippi. Uh, he's in prison because of uh, he's challenging like this whole Roman system that you know he's like Jesus is Lord, Caesar isn't Lord, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and so he's imprisoned, and then the church in Philippi are like, man, this is really like we've got to look after Paul because it's not like a, a prison in our day where it's like, oh sweet, you get some meals. They may not be great meals, granted, but at least you get fed. There, it's like you've got to have people supporting you if you want to eat in prison. And so this guy Epaphroditus, which you can read about at the end of Philippians, he turns up to Paul, who's in prison, with a hope, with a, like a gift, a financial gift from the church in Philippi to look after Paul while he's in prison. Um, and so Paul then writes this letter in with deep gratitude in his heart for the, their generosity and sends this letter back with Epaphrodites um, and to encourage this church in Philippi because the church in Philippi, like Paul, had suffered resistance and persecution. Um, and, and again, these people were saying that Jesus is Lord in a city that's very passionate and patriotic about Caesar. Um, and so Paul is writing this letter to urge the church in Philippi to stand fast. And it's a good word for us today because while we have a whole lot of freedom of religion that perhaps these guys didn't, there's a challenging world in which we live and we need to be encouraged to hold fast to the Christian faith and the waters in which we swim. The Bible Project gives this summary from the book of, uh, of Philippians. Paul centers his letter to the Philippians around a poem that highlights Jesus' attitude of humility in the face of suffering. His letter invites all readers to consider other people's needs and interests, even when life is hard. Difficult circumstances often make humans want to complain, compete against one another, and hoard resources to meet our own needs. But Paul invites us to remember how Jesus' selfless sacrifice leads to true life. His resurrection gives us a reason to humbly share with others in the most difficult times. Paul's prison chains prove that Jesus' attitude isn't easy. Uh, sharing Jesus' attitude isn't easy, so he encourages the church and reminds them to endure. Beautiful summary of what we're going to be diving into. So let's work our way through verses 1 to 11, uh, starting in chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That's cool. Straight away. Epic. Opening line. Love it. What's going on here? Well, the word they use there for servants is actually closer to uh, slaves. It's kind of like doulos. It's like these guys um, are like bond servants to Jesus. So like God has come and freed us. We are free. And how does Paul use that freedom? He's like, I choose to become a slave to Jesus. And it's like, man, in a world of celebrity Christianity... That's a good opening line. Here we are as servants of Jesus Christ. Like that's a great opening line. To all God's holy people. Oh, again, let's stop. To, to who? To God's holy people? Really? Like, God, have you seen what I've been up to this week? Oh, it must be for the other guys, not for me. Nah, turns out it's for everyone. Not because of how good you've been, but because of how great he is and what he's done on the cross. You've been declared holy. That's amazing. Holy people, saints is the word they sometimes use in different translation. 
the formation of a body of people and God's desire for them to be holy. Like you are, you are this holy people with saints in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Because of your relationship with Him, you've been made holy. Like, isn't that awesome? So you've been declared holy and you'll be made holy. This is great news. I mean, as Beth was saying, we can give um, testimony to the fact that He's good at changing folks. Like, I've said this a few times, it doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen. You hang out with Jesus and He will love you into holiness. It takes years. I know it's annoyingly slow and we just want to come to an altar call and get microwaved into holiness. It takes ages and ages, but you hang out with Jesus, He will change the deep parts of your life so that you become a holy person. So you've been declared holy and now, and we'll read about this soon in Philippians, so now let us live up to what we've already attained. Let us become who we already are in Christ Jesus. So you hang out with Jesus, He's going to make you a holy person. That's not easy. It's not easy to do that. You know, our world runs from pain towards pleasure, but that never deals with its pain. So, so many of your mates who, are, who don't follow Jesus will just be orientated around pursuing pleasure, but not working through the painful grief, brokenness in their life. But what happens is that when Christ uh, comes into our life, He helps us face our pain and grief and brokenness. And He, uh, and He, and He, he walks us into places of healing so that we can find not just pleasure, but deep joy, right? So like, I don't know about you, but God's, you know, I've been going through some deep water over the last month, you know, deep stuff in my heart that God's been bringing healing to, painful, but I love what he's doing. Because as I face that with Jesus, he's bringing me into a place of new wholeness and new healing and new freedom. Isn't he good? We're holy people. I mean, the glory, guys, well, one verse in. One verse. I mean, it's unbelievable. The glory. I mean, we, who we are in Christ and the light of who he is and that we're declared holy, invited into sanctification. I believe grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He just, he uses us all the time. But again, just, you, again, we rip through this stuff too quick. Grace and peace. Breathe it in. Grace and peace to you. Through our God, Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful. I thank God every time I remember you. Just notice as we work through Philippians how much Paul is praying. He's a praying man. He's praying all the time. I thank God every time I remember you. You know, um, this is, again, this is just one little verse, but it's packed with, with depth because it's like, you know, God wants you to have a holy groan for a people group. He wants you to carry people in your heart. Like you're not meant to just look after your nuclear family. You're meant to be a, you're like the invitation of Paul's, a great picture of Christian maturity where he's like, there are people that he carries in his heart and then he remembers them and he's like, oh man, they're great. Thank God, aren't they just, which is again, a great posture to have in your heart in a world that always breeds discontent. What does it look like for us to remember a people that God's called us to love and serve and just thank God for them? I've been doing that a fair bit over the last little while for you guys, uh, partly because it turns out you're generous, which is real good news. And I felt a little bit vulnerable. I felt like, you know, a bit of a referendum on Bay Vineyard got taken a few weeks back and I'm like, are people engaged with where we're at and all the rest of it? Outpouring of generosity. And I'm like, just, oh, Lord, isn't this amazing what you're doing through this ordinary bunch of weird people <laughs> that you've called me to serve and love and pastor? Thank, I thank God when I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The interesting thing there, the word partnership's a big one. It's this word koinonia, N.T. Wright says in his commentary on this, in Paul's word, world, it was the normal word for a business partnership in which all those involved would share in doing the work on the one hand and in the fi- financial respons- responsibilities on the other. The Philippians then are partners in the gospel and partners in grace. This is, again, beautiful. And this, this is why I'm so pleased we're um, doing this book after our little offering um, a couple of weeks back because I'm like, we're called to be business partners in the kingdom business. And it's called to be shared, like ownership, like a business, isn't meant to be just a couple of people up the front on a Sunday, but there's a sense of we own this together. We're partners. We're business. We're deeply committed to this. And we're committed financially. We're committed in our hearts and minds and with our time. We're committed to the things of the kingdom of God. So there's something here where he's looking at the church in Philippi just going, you legends, you flipping legends. You're not just like consumer Christians, you're partners in this, in the grace of God and the peace of God. You're partners in this thing, you own it. And they're not passive. Uh, and so there's this deep gratitude that Paul uh, has. She should have just lost my whole talk. That's back. Thank you, Jesus. A little moment there. Um, so he thanks God for them. Uh, and again, there's two types of prayers that are going on here. There's the prayer of thanksgiving, but there's also a prayer of petition. So the first one's a thanksgiving prayer. I just thank you that you guys are owning this thing. But secondly, there's prayer of petition. This letter isn't just thanks for the money that helps me out and here, you know, here in prison, your legends, I appreciate it. Of course not. There's this love that Paul has for the church in Philippi, which we read about in, in, in other books of the Bible, like Galatians, where he's like, he's in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. So then this next part is like, thank you for, for who you are and what you already are. But also, I'm confident of this, that God who's begun a good work in you will bring it to completion from the day of Christ. So he's saying it's not a passive like, that's it, you know, you get saved and you just coast. No, there's a forming work of Jesus to transform us from glory to glory, to make us holy people. Uh, and so uh, Stephen Fowl says this in his commentary, Paul and the logic of Christian doctrine, more generally, presumes that joining or being incorporated into the body of Christ entails that one's allegiances, commitments, habits, thoughts, and dispositions are all submitted to Christ, the Lord. To pick up imagery that Paul will use later in Philippians, entry into the body of Christ is like changing one's citizenship. It is to enter a realm founded, shaped, and directed by God. And so to be saved, it's to be transformed and to continue to be transformed. And that's why we're working together as a community to learn the habits of Jesus and the way of his kingdom. And we can be confident that God is at work within us. Uh, And this isn't something you can see straight away, but I tell you what, reflect about where you were at four years ago, church. And for many of us, it was like four or five years ago, the vast majority of our our under 45s did not have a devotional life. Just a fact. Fast forward four or five years, those that have been committed to learning the way of Jesus, now there's still always going to be a fight because the devil's going to go after that as hard as anything. But there are folks in this church who have been transformed and who are learning to live in the habits of Jesus. Sabbath's a big one, right? We've been trying to learn that. Oh, that's, that's a whole, there's all sorts of brokenness that gets exposed in these spaces. But God brings healing to them. We're learning these new lifestyles because our allegiance is to Jesus. So we've been transformed from glory to glory. So it is right for me to feel about uh, feel this way about you, verse seven. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or de- chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So here's Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, like 
filled with joy, gushing about this church. And again, Paul talks here about the partnership that they have, God's grace. There's this grace, this word charis in, in the Greek. Like there's a, there's a grace, there's a strength and a grace that God gives us to be kingdom people in a world of darkness. There's this grace that rests on us, even when it costs. And, and like there is, this isn't about culture wars or trying to make other people live the way we should. This is about a life of love. Like there's a, there's a grace of God that rests on you to live this life, life of love. And then Paul uh, comes to really in this opening section to this climactic kind of opening, opening moment where he's talked a lot about the fact that he's a praying man. He's been praying for this community. And again, I want to challenge you, church, this morning. I'm going to give space for the end. If you don't have a community that burns in your heart, I'm going to pray that God gives you one this morning. Like, you, you know, your home church, Team Bay Seniors, Marae Nui, Flexman, I don't care. There's a, there, there, it could be a people group overseas. There is someone you're meant, there's a group of people you're meant to carry in your heart. Could be your home church, could be, I don't, you're meant to carry them in your heart. Could be, the, you know, single mums, whatever. But this, who is it that the Lord's calling you to, to carry in your heart? And so then Paul's remembering them, thanking God for them. And then he's like, now here's my prayer for you. So he's talked about what he's been praying. Now he's like, now I'm just going to start praying for you. And this is a, this is a good prayer. This is something that we could use ourselves. And we're going to actually pray through this tonight at our prayer meeting. Verse 9, and this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure, uh, pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Good prayer to use. Firstly, Paul says this. I, I mean, he's praying that your love may, be, may abound more and more and more. I don't know about you, but as, as you kind of journey through life, you realize that it's real easy to think about the concept of love. It's really difficult to live a life of love. Cruciform love, where you will the good of another ahead of the good of yourself. That's so like, there's all sorts of like feelings of love that our culture kind of tells us that's what love is. But the Bible's very pragmatic about the fact that actually, no, love is, is something that's like willing the good of another ahead. It's a cruciform life. It's a life of blessing. And, and I'm like, man, I, I, Lord, help me to be a person whose love abounds more and more. I, um, again, uh, Gordon Fee, love, first of all, points to the character of God and to God's actions towards his people based on that character. I love this bit. God's love is demonstrated, especially in his forbearance or patience, right? So God's love is patient. Come on, someone give a hallelujah. Isn't that good news? He's patient with you. Oh, that's his love is, is expressed through his patience, his forbearance, and his kindness. Isn't he lovely? Isn't he wonderful? His love feels like kindness. Manifest ultimately in the death of Christ for his enemies. Thus, that its primary connotation is not affection, as in the preceding phase, phrase about Christ, but rather, listen, a sober kind of love. Love in the sense of placing high value on a personal thing, which expresses itself in actively seeking the benefit of the one so loved. And this is what Paul now prays will abound yet more and more among the Philippian believers. The rest of the prayer, after all, emphasizes love not as affection, but as behavior. Behavior that is both pure, stemming from the right motives, and blameless, lacking offense. That your love may abound more and more. But then what's the, what's the next couple of words in that, in that uh, scripture? A knowledge and insight. 
abound more and more in what? In, in knowledge and depth of insight. Some interesting words here that get used in the Greek. Um, the first for knowledge is this word uh, epigenosis, I think. <laughs> uh, my friend Sean Dutoy, who spoke here during our Revelation series, Dr. Sean Dutoy, says, as he was hearing about us doing Philippians, he says, Church, remind Bay Vineyard to pay attention to, to how Paul uses thinking language. He says, the whole of Philippians is orientated, listen, here, nerd alert, here comes the theologians with their big words. The whole of Philippians is oriented to shaping a Christological phronosensis. Luke's got it straight away. He knows exactly what I mean. So, and actually, we are going to come back to that word phonosensis a little bit uh, over the next number of weeks. What is that? It's a practical wisdom that allows one to live a life that flourishes centered on the wisdom of the Spirit through worshiping Christ, who had a particular perspective which shaped his life. So, like, there is, so this is like, so Paul is praying to the church in Philippi I pray that your love will abound more and more with insight. Like you would have an insight about how to live. You'd have a knowledge. You'd be an understanding. Um, uh, listen, that, 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 that word depth of insight, uh, again, um, uh, athesis, eisthesis, whatever, who cares about the Greek, really means, um, listen, moral understanding or moral wisdom. That's a huge like depth of insight, that you'd have moral wisdom. He prays that, that we would be filled with love. And like, what, how does that work? It's like we just get clear about how to live wisely, how to live well. Tom Wright says this in his commentary. He prays that this wise love will result in moral discernment. They lived as we do in a world where several moral issues were blurred and distorted and it was often hard to see what was the right thing to do. Paul longs to see them grow in telling the difference between good and evil when so often they appear at first glance as shades of grey. That way, he says, they will approach approach the uh, coming day of the Lord, the king's great day, with confidence because God will be transforming their whole lives into a holiness that goes beyond even the ritual purity demanded of priests in the temple. The The words he uses here for sincere and faultless seem to carry that implication. This letter has quite a lot to say about the coming day, and the main thing to say is that Christians can look forward to it with confidence and joy. But here's the thing, like, what does it look like to have moral discernment? What does it look like for God to bring insight so that we live in a way that's, that's a life of love? And this is where, like, it's funny, I've been really um, praying a lot, and we've got a standing line item in our prayer meeting for the next generation, right? So now, whether you've got kids and bay kids or not, what, I'm, what, what Paul's trying to get here is like, what do you long for the children and bay kids to know so that they can live a life of love, right? What are the things that, that you can, like, what do we want them to know? What sort of insights and knowledge so that they can live a life of love? And so like, and there's some of, some of our youth in the room this morning. Here's a couple of things that I'm, I'm gonna throw out there. I'm like, this is what I long for them. It's like, honour your future husband or wife with your body and your heart now. Start like make the choice to live a life of love for them now. Now it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. God's grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But from July the 16th, so I'm going to honor my future husband or wife if you're single here and you're younger. That's moral insight. There's a, there's something about living a life of love now for that person in the future. That's that's moral insight. That's wise. I want to say to our young people, like, live a life of love. 
your celibacy is a gift. So like whether by choice or whether by uh, or, or circumstance, there's the, in the Bible the gift of marriage and the gift of celibacy. And the gift of celibacy is a gift because you can go so much more hard out for the kingdom of God than you can if you're married. Facts. So I'm like, get moral insight where you're like, here's, here's like what you can do in this time of your life that's just like, go bananas for Jesus. Go hard out for Jesus. Live radically for Him. I want to get that sort of moral insight. I want to get that sort of knowledge and understanding in our young people. I want to uh, say things like, you know, you, you like live a life of love, like get in your heart and soul that you are made in the image of God and so precious to Him. You're made in the image of God. Let this permeate your being. You know, I want to say to our young people, in this world that's post-truth, there is truth. And His name is Jesus. He is the truth. And as we engage with this book, it helps us live well. And and why do we have all this stuff? So that we can live a life of love and our souls will flourish. Like when you choose to live the way of Jesus, you actually wisely, your soul flourishes. You live a richer or more beautiful life than you could ever live. And our culture says all sorts of lies about what's normal. And, and, and yet Jesus is, and Paul's praying here, like I want you to have a, a revelation about what's actually normal in the kingdom. And that's the, the things that lead to life. So in, the, in all the crazy, you know, I want to say to our kids, like it says in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. So it's better to be lonely in the short term to save pain in the long term. You know, all of these are just a million and one things. I'm like, what is on your heart? But here's all, like, what's your heart for the kids? What does the Lord want to bring revelation to you about? What's the Lord want to bring revelation to you around ways that you may be living that are damaging to your soul, that go against the grain of love? What does it look like to live a life of love that abounds more and more and more, right? This is the, the, the challenge that we have. And, and the reality is that we, we all sit here, and I don't know about you, but I've got regrets about my lack of insight back in the day. Anyone else? And I just love, I love that I can boldly approach the throne of grace. I just love that it, underneath it all is his loving, graceful, restoring, healing, Arms that have, and this is the beauty about Jesus. He forgives us, restores us, heals us. But he doesn't just say, cool, to keep on living. He's like, he believes in you. And he calls you to this higher ethic, this higher standard, this higher way. And so uh, we sit with that, the grace of God and the call for us to be a holy people. And, uh, and we, we sit with that this morning. To the glory into the praise of God. Stephen Fowler in his commentary says, Finally, in all these things, in St. Paul's prayer, richer charity, deeper knowledge of God, more sensitive moral perception, active and informed prudence, the innocence and beauty of the Christian life, all contribute to the glory and praise of God. Here's a, a I come into land in a second with this, and we're going to spend some time just in prayer. Um, years ago, uh, I came across this quote by this guy, St. Arrhenius. St. Arrhenius. I just all those old church fathers. Phenomenal, phenomenal wisdom. And he said this amazing line. He said, the glory of God, he said as a man, but we're going to say person. The glory of God is a person fully alive. I just, I just love that. We go through all of this stuff, but like in Philippians, what we're going to discover, particularly around this whole 
invitation to let God change us from the inside out to, into the deep places of our life, to learn the, the mind of Christ, all of this stuff. It's so that we would become alive. And the glory of God, like he's glorified as we come alive. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm tired of being tired. Right? And, I'm, and I look at Jesus, I'm so captivated by who he is. And I'm like, I so want to become more like you, Jesus. I want to live a life that's fully alive. I want to live a life that counts. I want to live a life that's radical for your kingdom. I want to, I want to be like a living dead person. I want to be so all in, it's stupid. I want, to, you know, I want to live a life that's like a living sacrifice. I just want to go because in him is the fullness of, of joy. And his presence is the fullness of joy, as it says in Psalm 15. It's like everything I long for is found in Jesus. The life you long to live is found in Jesus. And we know that, but we still struggle, right? But I'm like, the glory of God is when folks like you and me say yes to Jesus over and over and become alive. And that's his heart for you this morning. And that's Paul. He's just pre- Paul's there in prison and in chains. Try and just picture that. Chained most likely to a Roman guard. His church has given him some financial gifts to help him out. He's just overflowing with love. I mean, I don't know about you. I'll be grumpy. I'll be very happy that the money turned up so I could eat because I'd be hangry as well. But it's like, and we're going to talk about this a bit more next week, but Paul has such a Jesus-orientated mind that every circumstance he finds himself in, he can just see the good that God is doing and he can celebrate. So this gift, gift turns out to celebrate, but he's carrying this church in his heart and God brings them to mind and he's thinking and praying about them. And what does he pray? That they would walk into wholeness. They'd walk into life, that they'll be transformed from glory to glory, that, they, that God has begun a work in them, but he's going to bring it to completion by the time that, that, that he returns in glory. And so he's championing them to live a life of love. And he's got his pom-poms out, but only 11 verses in. And so what I want to do this morning is I, um, I want to pray. There's a couple of things that have been on my heart as I've been preparing this. Uh, firstly, um, I think God, I just saw, you know, you see it with Blair as he gets up just to talk about um, our time of intercession um, this evening and our prayer meeting for the gangs in the region. It's like that's, that's what God wants for us, is just to carry a burden for people. And so, like, I don't know, some of you know who they are immediately, and there's a sense of the Lord. I think just right now it's like this, you know, even just to begin praying for them, loving them, blessing them, remembering them in your prayers, giving thanks for them. Like just, but for some folks, it's like you just don't know who they are yet. And I'm going to invite you this morning to pray a dangerous prayer. I'm going to invite you this morning to say, Lord, would you put a group of people on my heart and break my heart for the things that break your heart with that group of people? It may be, uh, it could be a nation, it could be a suburb, it could be a demographic, it could be, I'm not sure what, but there'll be someone the Lord wants to give you a burden for. Mature Christianity is carrying a burden for others. And that that then firstly manifests itself in a prayer for them, getting on our knees, not trying to fix them all ourselves. It starts with prayer. Um, So I want to pray this morning that that some of you would just have like a burden placed on your heart from the Lord for some people. Um, and the second thing I want to do this morning is just uh, invite us to engage with, um, with moral wisdom in a very crazy world. We have a plumb line, and his name is Jesus. And, and it's good news, it's Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. And so this morning it's like, well, what does he want to just gently in his loving way invite us to, to repent of 
to walk away from, turn away and say, yeah, I want to walk this way. I want to walk your way, Jesus, so that I can live a life of love. Amen.